Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 9. I don't know about you, but I loved last week's reading. I love what we were reading about Saul getting born again and radically born again. And as enthusiastically as he served the devil, he served the Lord even more so. And how we saw the church who was suspicious of such a man, who'd killed so many of their brothers and sisters, who'd taken so many to prison, how we saw the church trust God and trust the Holy Spirit. And because of two men, Ananias and Barnabas, we saw them take hold of Saul and, and uh, trust God, even though he was formerly a terrorist. They said, if God can change him, if God can change me, he can change him. If the grace of God is big enough for any of us, it's big enough for all of us. And we saw his life turned around radically and... Uh, to thank God for that because we know that Saul became Paul and uh, he affected the, the history of the church and the trajectory of, of Christianity forever. God used him not only to evangelize and, and to start churches all over the Roman Empire, but he also used him as a messenger to bring to us the revelation that, that the grace of God uh, has appeared through Jesus Christ, that, that not only that, but it's open to us Gentiles as well. See, Paul was the first one to to actively preach. Now, Peter was as well, but Paul was the one that God gave some great revelation as to the fact that Gentiles were now part of the family of God. And so, I don't know if, I don't see any Jewish folks here tonight. Uh, wouldn't, you know, love to, love to have you if you were, but I think we're all goyim tonight. We're all Gentiles, and so we're all thankful that God put us into the family, that he made us the seed of Abraham, and that we get to be part of the family of God. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. In Acts chapter 9, we find, uh, after it leaves off from, from Saul, we're going to pick up with Peter. The last time we saw Peter in the book of Acts, he had journeyed down to Samaria, or sorry, up to Samaria, where... Um, Philip was preaching, and, and Peter and John brought a new wave of the Holy Spirit as they came, and, and uh, God opened through the ministry of Philip, God opened um, a whole new door to the Gentiles, to the, not to the straight-up Gentiles, but to the Samaritans, who were kind of half-Gentile in the Jewish eyes, and God opened that door, and as God opened that door, they went back and preached in every Samaritan village they could find. I love it when God opens doors to new groups of people, when God opens doors to new communities, when God opens doors to new uh, sections of society and, and clusters in our city. And so that's what God did in Samaria. Now Peter is uh, journeying to some other places. See, formerly Peter um, and the rest of the apostles had stayed in Jerusalem. Even when the church was, was scattered, the 12 stayed in Jerusalem. But now through the grace of God and, and the fact that most of the um, Christians had spread out anyways, uh, they've begun to travel and hit some of these communities outside of Jerusalem. Finally, we're beginning to see what Jesus told them. This gospel will be preached here in Jerusalem and in Samaria, Judea, then Samaria, then to the ends of the world. So they're beginning to see that the gospel is spreading. Now imagine if the gospel is spreading, and churches are starting, at least, maybe if the, even if they're not formal churches, at least there's gatherings of believers in different communities, which are the church, right? We are the church, you know? So the church is scattered, the church is all over, and as these are meeting together and, and associating with one another, um, they don't have a lot of leadership yet. 
You got to think about it. Most of the people in all of these different groups, even if they started a new work in their own city, most of them have only been born again for like a month. Two months, three months. I don't know how long it's been, but it's probably been less than a year. So this, they're fresh groups. So nobody's just standing up and saying, I'll pastor, I'll, I'll lead the church. You know, they're all new. And they're, they're, they're just saying, well, who's going to lead us? So Peter and the other apostles are making some trips, some key trips to, to encourage these believers. And, and Peter finds himself, we'll pick up in Acts chapter 9. Peter finds himself traveling through a bunch of these regions in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So he's still in his old stomping grounds, right? (laughs) He knew Galilee, Judea, and Samaria well. These are the places he visited with Jesus. So he's going back to some of these villages. Can you imagine how much they've changed? Because the last time he was in these villages, they were hearing the gospel of the kingdom through Jesus' mouth. But, uh, you know, Jesus was still walking the earth. They still didn't have a revelation that he would die and rise again. So now he's going back to these communities and he's finding uh, his Jewish brethren that have believed in the Messiah, not only believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but that he was the son of God, that he died and rose again. So I imagine as he goes to these new villages, they've changed a lot. And some for the better and some not, because already there's some opposition to the message. See, when he went through some of these villages, people in most of these villages, they gladly received Jesus. But now... The message from the top to the different synagogues and, and rulers of the synagogues, it spread that uh, these Christians might be troubled. So there's a little bit of a separation. He goes and he finds the believers in this region. It says in verse 32, as Peter was traveling through all these regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now, for those of you that are new believers and you're not familiar, you're, you're not familiar with the way we use the word saints in Christianity, you might... Uh, You might be thinking when someone says saints, you might be thinking of somebody that lived a special and extraordinary life. There's only a few of them around, and they did something amazing, so they were called a saint. But according to the Bible, anyone that has been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ is a saint. So everybody in the room tonight is a saint. So when he says we went to visit the saints, he's not talking about all the the, the special people. He's talking about the people of God. And uh, they are special, aren't they? So he goes and he says, he goes and visits them down to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who'd been bedridden eight years for he was paralyzed. Now, I don't know if Jesus had been to this particular community. I kind of believe he might have or he, his disciples might have. So that whether he had been or not, he'd been in the general region of this area. Probably news of Jesus had reached this guy. But this guy hadn't personally been ministered to by Jesus. He's still paralyzed. He had uh, lived through the ministry of Jesus without ever being touched, without ever having somebody carry him to a place where Jesus was, without ever having somebody bring Jesus to him. Maybe he thought that he missed his chance. Maybe he just figured, I don't know. Those days are over where Jesus was healing people. I wish I, had, wish I had known him like I know him now. But as Peter goes and visits this man, this man's obviously believed, right? Because he's associating with the saints. He's a believer. Peter comes down to him and it says, he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years for he was paralyzed. Verse 34, Peter said to him, and Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately, he got up. Isn't that awesome? 
This man might have thought he missed Jesus. I missed my chance. I had three years to see Jesus, and I missed it. But what he's finding out today is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He did not miss Jesus. Jesus is coming to town. He's just coming through one of his people. You might have thought, I wish I had lived in the days of the Gospels. I wish I had lived in the days of the book of Acts. I wish I had lived in Bible times and got to see those miracles. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit is the same. We can see the same things they saw. Jesus Christ heals you. A man who's been paralyzed for eight years gets up and walks. Some of you have heard uh, stories of, of one of the times we were in a village in the Philippines. Or, you know, I had already gone home, but the rest of my family was there. And, and they saw a man in very similar circumstances who'd been paralyzed for years, was going to be paralyzed for the rest of his life, fell off a coconut tree and was paralyzed, I believe, from the neck down. And how when he was prayed for, something changed, but not everything at once. And in a couple days, that man was walking, leaping, and praising God. So you see those things are still happening to this day. You see what he says? Jesus Christ heals you. But friends, where's Jesus? He didn't appear to be there. Where's Jesus? I thought I missed him. Jesus Christ goes with us, doesn't he? The Holy Spirit's with us. Jesus is ever-present to heal, ever-present to speak, ever-present. So he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. We'll, we'll come back to that point in a minute. He says, immediately he got up. Praise God. There wasn't, a, there wasn't a delay. He got up right away. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Praise God. We saw that that... that the fellow I was just talking about in the Philippines that was paralyzed, it was the same thing that happened. There were people that got born again when the gospel was preached, but there were even more that came to Jesus after they saw that miracle. It was a sign and a wonder. So then it says, now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. When they'd washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with him. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Now, why were they doing that? Because Dorcas not only was very good at her job, that's not why they were showing, just because, hey, look how pretty it was. They were showing because she was a generous woman, and she had given all this stuff away. So I imagine their thoughts are, hey, she was such a nice lady, why'd she have to die? You ever ask those questions? Why'd this person have to die? Such a nice person. Why couldn't it have been that guy? He's mean. <laughs> you know, they asked... Jesus, who sinned when there was a man that was born blind? Who sinned, this guy or his parents? First of all, it's a really dumb question. Because how in the world could he sin before he was born? You have a lot of fetuses committing really bad sins. Is that something that happens? <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I think I was pretty innocent in the womb. My mom might disagree. Maybe I kicked a few times, but you know what? There was no malice in my heart. I was just a fetus. I'm still a human being, but I hadn't come to the point where I could choose between right or wrong. So, of course, he didn't sin. What about his parents? Well, what kind of God do you think we're serving here? 
and says, oh, you're, you guys are terrible. You know what I'll do? I'll punish your kid for it. Now, in the Old Testament, we saw the sins of the fathers visited upon the kids. We saw that. And yet when Jesus came, something changed. That's right. So Jesus says to them, nobody sinned, but this is going to end in the glory of God. You're going to see the end of the story. It doesn't matter why it started. It doesn't matter why he got sick. It doesn't matter why he was born blind. I'll tell you, you, you're asking about the beginning. I'm going to tell you about the end. This will end in the glory of God. This will be for the glory of God. And so it's exactly what happened. So these same people are asking me questions. You know, like, why did this lady have to die? She was so nice. Look at all the things she did. Why she died is not the question. The question is, how's it going to end? And it says in verse 40, Peter sent them all out, and he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Isn't that awesome? Praise God, she sat up. And he gave her, hang on. I just said, isn't that awesome? And I don't know, maybe you were focused. And I almost went on and kept preaching until I realized, wait a second. A dead person just sat up. That's awesome. (laughs) Maybe you guys see so many dead people raised that this is old news. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saw two last week. You realize you're not reading Grimm's fairy tales here. We're reading a history written by a historian, breathed by the mouth of God. So we're not reading fancy stories that we tell our kids so that they'll love Jesus. We're reading a history of what happened. This lady was dead, and she sat up. Praise God. Tabitha arise. She opened her eyes. She sat up, and he gave her his hand, and he raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Once again, it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Now, I want you to see that in both of these cases, these miracles led people to Jesus, right? So that's something that signs and wonders do. They point to Jesus. When Jesus walked on the earth, the signs and wonders, they pointed to him that he was who he said he was. Now, all of that said, don't make the mistake of thinking that's the only reason God did it. It is part of it, but it's not the only reason. Because as I've said before, Jesus, he did all these miracles and they proved he was who he said he was. But if he was just proving his power, he could have killed some people with his eyes. He could have given somebody leprosy instead of healing them. If you'll notice, all of Jesus' miracles were healing and delivering and making whole. If he was just trying to prove he was the son of God, he could have knocked a mountain down. He He could have killed some people that didn't like him. He could have done all these things. What were the kind of works that he did? He healed, he delivered, he set free. Everything that he said in Luke 4, I've come to do, that's what he did. So yes, it does point to his power. It points to who he is, but it also points to his character. You see, as you read through the Gospels, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. He felt compassion. So he healed people, yes, and when he did these miracles, it pointed to him as the Messiah. It confirmed what he said, but it also was because he loved those people. These people, when they were healed, everybody around them believed in Jesus. I mean, a bunch of people believed in Jesus in their towns. But God didn't just do these miracles so that people would believe. That's part of it, but that's not the only reason. Ultimately, 
The heart of Jesus is the heart of God. And the heart of God is the same in the Gospels as it is in the book of Acts and as it is today. He still wants people healed. He still loves hurting people. And he wants them whole. He still wants demon-oppressed and possessed people free and delivered. So he doesn't just do miracles to show off. Because like I said, if that was his purpose, he could have done a ton of things. But every miracle he did not only confirmed his power, it confirmed his character. Right? And that backed up who he was just as much as the fact that it was impossible was the fact that it went into line with who he said God was, who he said the Father was. That's important because you'll have people today that might say to you, well, you know, the reason that God did miracles back then was just to back up what they were saying, but now we have the Scripture. Thank God we have the Scripture. Amen? And the Scripture is more than enough. And yet, I don't think that Jesus just did miracles to prove something. He also did these things because that's what he said. I have come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to set the captives free. I've come. And we know that he did those things not just to prove something, but also because that's who he was. He felt compassion. He loved them. He did this because the Lord wants you set free. Because that's who he is. Amen. So we see this, and I don't want you to say, well, I guess he did it back then just to to give the apostles some credibility. Even if that were the case, don't you think we need that today? More than any other time? Where the world needs to know that what we're saying is true, where people are writing it off as fairy tales, and people are writing it off as superstition, don't you think they need to see the power of God? But also, Jesus still loves the hurting. He still loves the broken. He still loves those that are oppressed. And if he loves them, he's going to move. And if we love them, we're going to move. Because we have the same heart. We want to catch his heart. Praise God. Now look what it says. It says that Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. I want you to analyze a couple of facts here, a couple of thoughts. The first miracle we see Peter do in the New Testament, not in the New Testament, but in the book of Acts is that man who was crippled in front of the gate called Beautiful. Do you remember that? What did he say to that man? He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Right? And when they asked him, by what authority did you do this? He said, it's by the name of Jesus that this man is healed. It's not by my piety or because we're anything special. It's the name of Jesus. That's important. Because many people will read this and go, well, Peter was such a great guy. Of course God answered his prayers. Peter says, it's not because of me that this guy got healed. It was the name of Jesus. Now, here's something. The first time he says, in the name of Jesus, rise, walk. The miracle we saw in, in, in Acts chapter 9, the first miracle we saw in Acts chapter 9, when Aeneas got healed from being paralyzed, he said, Jesus Christ heals you. The third time we see him say to Dorcas, rise up. Tab- oh, he said, Tabitha. Tabitha, arise. Yeah. Do you notice he didn't say in the name of Jesus that time? He said, Jesus Christ, heal you the second time. Can I ask you a question? Was the third miracle in the name of Jesus? Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You see, just saying in the name of Jesus doesn't make what you're doing in the name of Jesus. Right? You can punch somebody and say, in the name of Jesus, break your nose. That's not in the name of Jesus. See, often we'll pray a prayer according to our will, and we'll stamp in the name of Jesus, and we're surprised when it doesn't work. 
As if we get to just decide and we put in the name of Jesus and the great genie in the sky has to do what we asked. He did say, ask anything in my name and I'll do it. But what does it mean in his name? That doesn't just mean adding a couple magic words at the end of your prayer. In his name means you're praying according to what he wants you to pray. His will. I'm doing it in his name. This is, I'm not representing me. I'm representing the name of Jesus. I'm representing him. I'm doing what he's telling me to do. I'm praying what he wants me to pray. I'm laying hands on the sick because he sent me to lay hands on the sick. If you go to the store in my name, it's not just about you, you, know, you steal my credit card and try to use it over there. If you go to the store in my name, we're assuming you're going because I sent you and I asked you to do, pick up something for me. And because I asked you to pick something up for me, you're going in my name and I'll send you my credit card so you can pay for it in my name. But if you take my credit card and you start buying a bunch of, you know, pornographic magazines, you can't say you're buying those in my name. You'd be lying. But you're no longer in my name. You're just using my card. And if I find you going on a spree using my card, buying a bunch of stuff that I didn't approve, I'm going to tell the bank, stop my card. And you won't have any power behind that card. doesn't matter what name you use or what signature you use, it won't work. So when we say in the name of Jesus, it's not just about putting three words or four words in the name of Jesus. Five words. (laughs) It's not just about putting five words at the end of something. It's about are you doing it because he sent you? Of course Peter is here. What did Jesus say? In my name, you'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In my name, you'll speak with new tongues. In my name, you'll cast out evil spirits. Earlier, he said, the works that I do, you're going to do also. And greater works than these will you do. So Peter knows I'm walking in his name. Not only that, but Peter's got the Holy Spirit. Do you know not every dead person that dies is supposed to be raised from the dead? Or else we'd all be like 800 years old. Or we wouldn't all be, but there'd be 800 years old walking around, you know? How do you know? This per- How does Peter know that Tabitha's supposed to get up? Is it because she made all these nice things? Do you think that Peter, if Peter raised everybody that died from the dead, that would be his whole ministry. That'd be all he ever did, just going to funerals and messing them up, right? There was something that he heard from the voice of the Spirit, this person's supposed to be alive. You go pray for her. You go tell her to get up. In my name, you go do it. He had the Holy Spirit. He listened to the Holy Spirit. Now, I've talked to, I've talked to ministers that have been in a lot longer than me, a lot more experienced than me, and have seen the dead raised in their ministry. And they said, you know what? There was a spirit of faith that rose up in me, and I knew at that point this person's going to get up from the dead. There was something different. They've been to funerals and said nothing. They've been, and there were other times where they said, this isn't over. And so I'm not telling you how you should go about this. I'm not trying to develop a side doctrine on this. I'm just telling you, Peter had to listen to the voice of the Spirit. Amen? He knew, he, he knew in the name of Jesus, there's power to raise the dead. But do you notice when Jesus sent them out, he didn't say, you're all going to go raise the dead. When he sent them out in Mark 16, he didn't say, you're going to raise every dead person you come across. He had to know it was God. Because if you know it's God... You can do it in his name. Amen? So watch this. Not only does he do what Jesus told him to do, which is heal the sick, raise the dead, but he does it in the way that he saw Jesus do it. 
See, Peter is new at this. You might, not, you might not think of it that way, but Peter's very new at this. You'll notice as he goes up, he does exactly what he saw Jesus do. With the paralyzed guy, paralyzed guys on a, on a bed, he, he remembers, what did Jesus do when he had a paralyzed guy lowered through the roof? It's like, pick up your bed and walk. So that's exactly what Peter says. It says, Jesus Christ heals you, pick up your bed and walk. When, when uh, he has this little girl, or not girl, sorry, this lady, Tabitha, he remembers that Jesus, when Jairus' daughter, when he was with Jairus' daughter, he kicked everybody out of the room, so Peter kicks everybody out of the room. Why does he kick him out of the room? I mean, can't they see a miracle? He kicks them out of the room because they're, they're in mourning mode. They're in weeping mode. And while that's very sweet, there's no faith in that. You're not helping anything. They've already kicked into mourning mode. When Jesus went to Jairus' daughter, do you remember this? There were a bunch of people in the room that were professional mourners. We know in that, that day and age, they hired people to mourn. Can you believe that? They hired people to mourn. Not only that, but some people in the community, that's just what you did. You showed up, you mourned. I've done lots of funerals on reserves where there were people like laughing one minute, and then once it's time to go by the coffin, everybody just turns it on, they cry, and then they're gone, and they're laughing again. You know, it's just what we do. So they had people whose job it was to mourn. How do we know it wasn't real? Because when Jesus says she's only sleeping, they all start laughing. They're not really in the grips of grief here. He says, don't worry, she's only sleeping. And they just start busting a gut. Like, ha ha, what an idiot. That's hilarious. So, of course, Jesus kicks them out of the room. Your mourning's not helping anybody. There's a time to mourn, but it's not now. Peter gets everybody out of the room. So you notice he's just kind of flying by the seat of his pants here. He's not done this before. Sometimes we hold these apostles up on this level like they just knew everything they were supposed to do. They had, you know, they, they, they never made a mistake. They never had any second thoughts or doubts. But these are men and women like you and me. So what's he doing? He's had three years of training watching Jesus. Then Jesus sent them out on their own. He had, he had time where he's, he's riding on the back of Jesus' bicycle. He had times where he's got his only bicycle with training wheels on. And now the training wheels are off. And we're going to see what you're made of. So not only does he do things because he's sent by Jesus, he does them exactly like he saw Jesus do them. And this is important. How do you learn? How do you learn what to do? Copy Jesus. Do what Jesus did. That's because that's what he said. What I do, you'll do. So Peter remembers this. He said, Peter was remembering. He said to me, the things I do, you're going to do, and greater things. So Peter's just going and doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. Now, there's a couple reasons that he did it that way, and there's a couple reasons Jesus did it that way. Do you notice that almost every time Jesus did a miracle, attached to that word, be healed, was a command for, you know, for the person receiving their healing. He always told them something. Pick up your bed and walk. Even to the dead people, rise. Why? Why did he have to do that? First of all, you notice that he's not praying half-hour prayers, begging God to do something. He's already aware of the will of God here. And he's just going to speak to that person to be healed. Have you ever noticed that most of our prayers for sick people we can't find anywhere in the Bible? You notice that? And a lot of times we're using a lot more words than we need because we're killing time because nothing feels like it's happening. Just keep praying. I've got to find more words to say. Jesus says, don't think that, we're gonna, that Father's going to hear you because you use more words. 
That's what the Gentiles believe. That's what happened when Elijah, when Elijah challenged the Baal worshipers to a cook-off, you know? And uh, he, you know, he says, we'll see whose God sends fire down to consume the, the offering first. Well, remember what Baal's prophets did, what Baal's servants did? It says, with many words and many recitations, they kept, I mean, they said, well, if he's not moving now, we'll talk until he's annoyed with us and move. Of course, Elijah mocks them and says, perhaps your God is sleeping. He even says, and I'm not making this up, he says, perhaps your God is relieving himself. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Well, we know his God wasn't real. Their God wasn't real, so of course he's not going to do anything. But Jesus says, don't pray like the Gentiles who think they're heard because they had more words than everybody else. Don't pray like the Pharisees who think they're heard because they use better words. He says, pray in this way. So if we want to look in the Bible how Jesus healed people, how the apostles and even non-apostles in the book of Acts saw people healed through their ministry. You don't see them begging God. You don't see them making a case. You see them acting on the word of God and believing it's going to happen. Do we believe God enough to, to be that bold? That's a question, isn't it? And also there's always a command. I believe that everything that God wants to do in your life, there is a corresponding command for you to react and you to have, in faith, have some action attached to it. It's a wonderful thing. When we pray for somebody who's sick, if they, I mean, you'll notice if somebody's got an arm that's not moving, you know, shoulder that's hurt or something, you pray for that, tell them to move their arm. If they can't see, say, open your eyes. Look, look at me. They can't speak, say, say something. You know what he's doing? He's, he's, he's in that action, they're, they're responding to the word of God. There's always got to be a response to the word of God. That's where, that's where faith finds its feet, you know? So there's this action that says that the Lord doesn't just speak. He, he asks for corresponding action because faith without works is dead, right? So Jesus would say, hey, be healed. Pick up your bed and walk. And when the man would pick up his bed, oh, hang on a second, I get out of bed, pick it up, he'd find he's healed. We find later, and we'll read about this later on in our studies through Acts, but you find that Paul in Lystra, there's that man who has faith to be made whole. He stops his sermon. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. He doesn't even say the name of Jesus Christ. He just says, get up and walk. And it says, immediately the man leapt to his feet and strength filled his legs. There was a command to him, walk, get up, stand up on your feet. Now, you know that that man's never stood on his feet before. He was born this way. So he just doesn't know how to do it. But when he says, okay, feet, I don't know, I've never done this before. His muscles are atrophied. He's got, I mean, he, I mean, he had probably had just scrawny, toothpicky legs because he never used them in his life. But as his brain responded to the voice of God and sent a message to his legs, stand up, the Bible says he leapt on his feet, which tells me and he never stood up before. So he just said, full engines ahead, guys. Do, do what you do, all right? So, it's, I mean, he didn't just slowly stand. He leapt, went off the ground. But it says immediately strength filled his legs. When did the strength fill his legs? When he responded to the word of God. I'm going to tell you, with everything that's broken in your life, with everything you need God stepping in and healing and restoring, every time God does something in your life, there is a corresponding response that he's asking from you. He wants you to step out. God, Jesus didn't, didn't call Peter on the water and like grab him by the collar and drag him out. 
He said, get out of the boat. And when he got out of the boat and he put his foot on the water, that's when he walked on the water. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we're just hoping that Jesus will take us and force us into a miracle. The truth is there's a point where you have to believe what he said and you have to step out. So even the dead people arise. (laughs) He didn't just say don't be dead anymore. He said arise. But he's just doing what Jesus did. You notice this. He's just doing what Jesus did. Jesus Christ heals you. Take up your bed and walk because that's the last thing he saw. When Jesus healed the paralyzed man, that's what he said. That's what I'm going to say. You don't have to be original here. You don't have to be clever or witty. You just do what Jesus did. That's what he put us on the planet to do. Be his hands, his feet. Just do what Jesus did. Be led by the Spirit of God. Now, he may tell you to do something totally different. You know, Jesus didn't heal everybody the same way all the time. One time, he spits in the mud and puts it in a guy's eye. So you, do, do you take that and say, okay, everybody, everybody I ever find that's got a little eye trouble, maybe a little fuzzy, I'm going to spit, and, you know? Jesus did it that way. Most likely, my belief is he did it that way to mess with the Pharisees because it was the Sabbath. And the Pharisees believed because the Lord, when he brought them out of Egypt, and the Egypt, their job was to make bricks because the Egyptians were always building some grand monuments with slavery. And so they were making bricks, And the Lord set them free from that, thank God, brought them out of slavery. He said, on the Sabbath day, you're going to take a rest, and you are not to make bricks on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees took that liberating, joyful command, and they turned it into a burden. They said, if you're walking around and you got to spit, because they're in a dry, dusty area, sometimes these guys just had to spit. And I don't mean to be crude, but sometimes you did. So if, they got, if you got a spit and it's on the Sabbath, don't spit in the mud because you'll make clay and that's step one in making bricks. So you go find a rock. You find a rock and spit on the rock. So Jesus gave a, I mean, God gave a command that would set them free from work. They turned it into a command that would make life a little bit harder. So it's the Sabbath, and Jesus notices religious folks watching. So what does he do? He spits in the mud, rubs in the guy's eye, rubbing it in their faces. So does that mean every Saturday that somebody gets healed, you've got to spit in the mud? What about the time? This is a great one. What about the time the man was, he couldn't talk and he couldn't hear? And Jesus spits on his finger and touches his tongue. Can you imagine doing that? How many people are going to love that? (laughs) Jesus spits on his finger, touches the man's tongue, and then he takes the same slobbery fingers and gives him a wet willy and sticks it in his ear. (laughs) Does God want you to do that every time? Probably not. The Holy Spirit will lead you, won't he? Jesus said, remember we talked about this on Sunday, just the, the helper I was to you, how I led you, how I guided you, how I taught you, how I showed you, the Holy Spirit will be the same thing to you. You've got the Holy Spirit. Peter's doing what Jesus did because that's what Jesus said. You're going to do what I did. And as he did, many are brought to the Lord. Now, we have different gifts in the room. We've got different, different types of people that are called to different things. But whatever God is using you to do, it's going to be supernatural. 
It's going to be supernatural. And I believe you're going to see the sick healed. And I believe you're going to see people that are possessed and oppressed delivered. I believe you're going to see people that are broken healed. To do that, you follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And you do everything in the name of Jesus. Whether you say in the name of Jesus or you just say what he tells you to say, and it's in the name of Jesus, you do what he tells you. And expect, here's what it means to do something in the name of Jesus. That when you say something in the name of Jesus, it's as if Jesus said it. When you pray in the name of Jesus, the Father receives that prayer as if Jesus prayed it. Don't you know Jesus gets his prayers answered? It says in 1 John, if we pray according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we already have whatever we've asked. There's no question. The question is, are you praying in his name? Are you praying according to his will? How do I know? You look in the Bible, you find his will. If you can't find your specific circumstance in there, the Holy Spirit will pray through you. And Romans chapter 8 says, when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays through us the perfect will of God and groanings too deep for words. There is always a way to pray the will of God. As we walk that through, he's going to use normal people to do very extraordinary things as they follow in the footsteps of their master and do everything in the name of Jesus. Because the world did not miss their opportunity to meet Jesus. Aeneas didn't miss his opportunity. That person down the street didn't miss their opportunity to meet Jesus. Because Jesus left you here. His body, his church, his people, his sons, his daughters. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit so that the works that he did, you do. And the world will believe. Amen? Amen. The city will believe. Now, guys, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's just a miracle chaser and just, you know, just looking for the next big thing. We follow Jesus. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to obey the voice of the Lord. If we're followers of Jesus, we're going to see miracles. And I want to see that in our city because it glorifies him. A true miracle is going to glorify Jesus. It won't glorify you, it'll glorify him. And that's ultimately what we want to do, Amen. We want Jesus to be glorified. We want people to come to him. And you know what? Not only that, Jesus still loves the sick. He still loves the hurting. He still loves the oppressed. And he wants them free. And thank God you are his agents of liberation. You are the, you're, the, you're like the soldiers in World War II came across the concentration camps and started busting the locks off and letting people loose. We're coming into a world that's been oppressed, thrown into camps. They don't even know it. You're coming in the same anointing that Jesus said I, he was in to set the captives free, to set at liberty those that are oppressed by the devil. That's why you're there. So as we come across these people that are oppressed and kept in bondage, we get to be the ones that shoot the locks off and tell them what freedom really means. Thank God for that. In the name of Jesus, we'll do it. In his name. If we want to do it in his name, you've got to remove your will from it. You remove your opinion you remove your, your, your desire and all of that. You, you remove all of that and you step into his opinion, his will, his initiative. That's how Jesus walked. That's how we walk. Amen? Amen. So if you say, I'm here for him, I'm here for his kingdom, that's what I'm seeking. I'm not seeking anything of my own. I'm seeking his kingdom. You're going to see his kingdom. You're going to see the results of his kingdom. And when he sent his disciples out to preach the kingdom, he also said, preach the kingdom. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Freely you've received. 
now freely give. Isn't that a wonderful verse? It's one of my favorites in the Bible. Freely you have received. Now, what's your job? If you've received, freely give. Praise God. Stand up with me. Freely we've received. Freely we're going to give. You know, up in Loon Lake, whenever we want to really get moving, Sister Alvina Thunderchild will get up with her guitar and start singing. He's done so much for me, I cannot tell it all. She'll sing it in English, she'll sing it in Korean. It's just a wonderful song. And yet, just because you can't tell it all doesn't mean you shouldn't try. <laughs> Give it your best shot. Tell as much as you can. But if we think back to all that Jesus has done for us, we have freely received. We have freely received. It's, it falls upon us now not to, to continue to receive, but also to freely give. It's in order to give, you have to consider that you have received something, right? Peter and John, the first time they ever saw a miracle in, in the, after Jesus had rose from the dead, first time they saw a miracle, Peter said, what I have, I give to you. He didn't say what God has. He says what I have because he believed what God had, he had because he's doing it in his name. You're using his credit card. There's a lady I used to work with. I'm closing with this, but there was a lady I used to work with. She's from a very conservative background. And uh, the, the group that she was from didn't really believe in anything supernatural. Not, I mean, the, the most supernatural they got was you were born again, which praise the Lord. If you got nothing else, thank God for that. That's like the biggest thing, isn't it? But, uh, you know, they didn't really do much more than that. And they, they would sometimes pray for sick people, but never really expect anything to happen. You know, they'd ask God, but they'd say, God, if you want to, you can. If you don't, you don't. And that was kind of the end of it. She came to me one day, and it was interesting. Now, you don't know who this lady is. I know you might be running mine. She doesn't work there anymore. Just sweet lady, though. I ran into her at Walmart the other day and thought about this. But she was, she was an older lady. Well, I'm not going to call her that. She might hear this someday. <laughs> she, she had been in this group for a long time. And you, in many ways, you might say she was set in her ways. But she said, I was praying for somebody who was sick, one of my friends who was sick. She said, I ended my prayer, and I ended it like I always ended, in the name of Jesus. She said, and I just was about to walk away like I always do, not really expecting anything to happen. She said, all of a sudden, I realized, I just said, in the name of Jesus, which means this is like if Jesus had prayed this. Now, if Jesus had prayed for my friend, would she remain the same? She said to herself, of course not. It changed everything. And she said, when I started to say that, I shared it with my friend. She said she was healed. She was set free. I saw a miracle. Now, this was a lady who was not expecting things like this to happen. But it just, the Lord, I mean, this is great. One of the great things about the Holy Spirit, the Lord revealed it to her and just woke her up that simple truth. I say simple, but it's, it's something we all got to get back and all got to recognize is that if I'm doing something in the name of Jesus, if I'm praying in the name of Jesus, and I'm speaking in the name of Jesus, if I'm laying hands on the sick in the name of Jesus, it's as if Jesus was doing it. And you didn't see Jesus go say, not sure if it's going to work or not. You saw power and authority and boldness. And I believe the same for you. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know it's not just a story. It's not just history. It's living. It's alive. It's active. It's able to awaken things in us. So awaken in us the power of your name. 
the sanctity of your name, that we wouldn't just throw it around like it's nothing, that we would honor your name and put great stock in it, great expectation in your name, great reverence for your name. We wouldn't take it lightly. We wouldn't just use it at any moment. But we would truly walk and act in your name. And when it's coming time and we know we're acting in the name of Jesus, when we use that name, when we step out in that name, we know there's power in the name. I thank you, Lord, for your name. Lord, who are we that you would give us the authority of your name? We might have been stumbled over that question in the past, but now we know we are the children of God. We are the blood-bought, redeemed church of Jesus Christ. And you've given us your name, so we will honor your name. Give us boldness and great faith and trust in your name that we can go out and see the works of you, that you did in our own life. We pray that our city would see the goodness of God. Our city would see the power of God. Our city would honor you. That many would come to know the Lord. And I pray that every, every church in this city that, that calls the name of Jesus their own, every church in this city that uh, submits to the name of Jesus, that they would all begin to see an awakening within their own body, within their own group. They would begin to see that, you know, we're not just within our own group. We are the church that we would rise up and every one of those churches would be filled with the lost and they'd be filled with the broken and they would see the broken healed and the lost found and the sick healed and the, and the oppressed delivered in Jesus' name. That this city would be a city where a light is shining and it's shining bright and many would turn to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. We love you very much.